This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived put it on his toe before he went to bed and the next morning he was like mom my toe's all better. It was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly. So you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, other types of skin damage. It's totally safe, non-toxic, suitable on all types of skin, even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin. This is also safe for the youngest members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500 thousand happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family so to get your own active skin repair go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20 percent off your order when you use the code shameless that's activeskinrepair.com use the code shameless for 20 percent off your order activeskinrepair.com code shameless This is the Shameless Mom Academy episode 424 with Michaela Kiner. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 424. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community. So be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Hello, mamas. Before we dive in, I want to tell you a little bit about something special I've put together for this unprecedented time that we're living in. So I know that right now, something that is missing from a lot of our daily lives is hope and happiness. And I know that there's just so many unknowns and so much unpredictability, and things are changing at a really rapid pace. And that can be scary, and it can be overwhelming, and it can be really exhausting and so draining. And so I wanted to put together something for you, a free resource where we could come together as a community of shameless moms and connect and find those little cracks right now to let the light in. And so especially during these really trying and dark times of COVID-19, I think it's more important than ever that we make space for each other and make space to lift each other up. So I created for our entire community a free eight-day hope, happiness, and mental health challenge. This is a time for us to take a break from the vicious news cycle, find hope and joy during this stressful season, and make space to manage your mental health as we navigate this global crisis together. So during this eight-day challenge, you're going to get daily emails from me that offer light and insight into how you can manage emotions and fear and stress during this time. You'll also gain access to daily Facebook lives where I'm going to be providing mindset and mental health coaching to help you frame your days, especially if you are a homeschool mom like me for the next six weeks. We just got word about that. So this will help you frame your days and gain a greater sense of control during unpredictable times. You're also going to learn and practice new habits that can really change the course of your day, especially on days that feel overwhelming and tricky and especially draining. And you will be supported by other shameless moms who have your back every damn day. So this challenge starts on Monday, March 23rd, and I want you to be there. It's totally free. All you need to do to get yourself signed up is go to shamelessmom.com slash challenge. I'll have it linked up here in the show notes as well, but go to shamelessmom.com slash challenge, get yourself signed up. 
And then from there, you'll get the emails about the challenge. You'll get access to our Facebook group and you'll be able to connect and find hope and a little inspiration and maybe even a few good laughs with a community of moms who really want to support you and create a safe and joyful place for us to all lean in together as we navigate these really unprecedented times and make sure that we still find those light, bright moments when things feel heavy and dark. So pop over to shamelessmom.com challenge to get yourself signed up. Michaela Kiner is a shameless mom of two teens, a certified executive coach, and experienced consultant. In 2015, Michaela founded Reverb, a leading provider of flexible HR services for startups and growing companies in the Pacific Northwest. An HR professional for nearly 20 years, Michaela enjoys coaching leaders at all levels and helping companies build healthy, inclusive cultures. She's been quoted in Fast Company, The Wall Street Journal, and The Muse, and is a member of the Forbes Human Resources Council. She's also the author of her new book, Female Firebrands, Stories and Techniques to Ignite Change, Take Control, and Succeed in the Workplace. Michaela has coached leaders at all levels who want to live and lead in purposeful ways based on their values. By acting as a sounding board and accountability partner, she supports her coaching clients in achieving their goals. She particularly enjoys working with entrepreneurs, executives, and high potential women leaders. Michaela lives in Seattle. She's my neighbor. I mean, I don't know how close she actually lives to me, but we're both in Seattle. So that's, we're neighbors. She's happily married to Henry, who's a musician and an artist and a teacher. And their two children are good at challenging the status quo and a constant source of learning and laughter. She's a strong believer that a healthy, inclusive culture is integral to the success of every organization. I loved this conversation. I sometimes get real sucked into my entrepreneurial world where women just have all the power if they want it and they can take charge in different ways than they can in the corporate workplace sometimes. So this was an eye-opening conversation for me. And Michaela just had nugget after nugget of wisdom to provide in a powerful way that really gave actionable tips and a lot of insight. So listen in to hear Michaela share the diversity in interviews when interviewing 13 women and asking them the exact same question. This was fascinating. She also shares the truth about competition between women in the workplace. And to be honest, I thought maybe we were over that. She tells me we're not. She talks about the gift of Brene Brown telling her no, how to use data to create equity in the workplace, how to be a leader of inclusivity in the workplace, why research shows that moms make awesome leaders, especially if you have more than two kids, and she shares the steps that you can take to become a stronger leader today. I love this conversation. I think you're going to learn a little. I think you're going to be able to put some into action, especially if you're in, in that corporate environment, in that more traditional workplace environment. So I'm so excited, so honored to welcome Michaela Kiner to the Shameless Mom Academy. Michaela, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so excited to have you here. I am so excited to be here. Thank you. This will be fun. I have to tell our audience that we were just joking that we're both in Seattle and we both have this feeling at times that we already know all the people in Seattle. And then you meet new, really amazing people and you're like, huh, as it turns out, I don't know all the people in Seattle. Maybe there's a few good ones left that I haven't met yet. So this is going to be a lot of fun as we dive in. Absolutely. Yeah, I think the same thing. In fact, I grew up here and at times I will bump into people who I knew from middle and elementary school and they recognize me, which I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing. But I also meet so many new people almost every day in this job, which is one thing I really love about it. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I also think that the older we get, the world seems smaller and smaller, like we're all so interconnected. So it is really exciting when you have this sense of like, wow, there's still so many people out there I don't know, or so many connections to be made and so much potential in building new relationships, which I totally appreciate. Very true. Yes. Okay. So I want you to tell us a little bit more about the dynamics of your personal and professional life beyond your bio and what you're most excited about right now. Well, I have two teenagers. My daughter is 15. My son is 18. He's a senior. He's still at home. And I kind of measure my success every day by the fact that my kids still talk to me, which if you have teenagers, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I know. You have to tell us your secrets. <laughs> you know. No, my kids are, they're just great. And they're happy, healthy kids. And I think a big part of it is that they both have their passions that they pursue. My son wants to be a commercial pilot. He's wanted to fly planes since he was four and is looking at studying aviation in college so he can do exactly that. He spends a lot of time on that as well as playing soccer. 
And my daughter in the last couple of years got really into indoor rock climbing and does that competitively. So a really big part of it, I think, is just that they have found what they love. And we, of course, support them in doing as much of that as possible because they could be doing a lot of other things as teenagers that we don't want them to do. Yes. Oh my gosh. And those are like, you have to be on your A game for both of those things or things could go real south real fast. Yeah, they're both really intense pursuits. And so they definitely keep the kids busy and on their toes, which I love. And you know, as far as that personal professional blend, I really went out on my own and started my company four and a half years ago to find the better personal professional blend that gave me more flexibility. And so even though I run a company, but I actually have more freedom and flexibility than I ever had in 15 years working in corporate jobs. I think it's just because when you work for yourself, you can work how you choose and you can work when and how you're most productive. So if I get up at 5.30 and do some work before coming to the office, but then I, when I'm tired at three or four, I just get up and go home and have dinner with my family. Or if there's a day when I can work from home, I do that. So it's actually a lot more energizing is what I find. And my kids notice it. Like the other day, my daughter just looked at me and said, you know, I've seen you a lot in the morning. And before you had your own company, I never saw you in the morning, which was true. I was always up and out the door before they were out of bed. So I really enjoy being able to do that, especially while my kids are still in the house. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I was actually just talking with someone yesterday about the pros and cons of working for someone else versus building your own thing. And we were talking about the opportunity when you build your own thing around, you know, you have the different and sometimes bigger, vastly bigger opportunities for impact. But also on this personal level, you do definitely have the opportunity to be connected in different ways with your family, and which can be hard. Sometimes those boundaries can be hard, but also there's a ton of space for that. I know we have this big, long weekend coming up. And yes, or today on the way to school, I said to my son, like, what did you want to just go skiing on Friday? (laughs) So I was like, what a gift to be able to do that. You know, that also sometimes means I'm working on a Sunday. (laughs) Yeah, there's trade offs. There's trade offs. So tell us about your book. I want to hear about female firebrands and what inspired the book. Yeah, the book has been so much fun. It launched just over a month ago now. It took about just under two years to write, but really to write and go through editing and get published. So I was writing intensively for about a year of that. I always wanted to be a writer. I actually recently found two illustrated books that I wrote when I was nine that I had sent to publishers. And I even have the rejection letters that I got back. Oh, it's amazing. I know because it was a form letter, but then they would always write something like, good luck or keep it up, you know, so that was really nice. But as far as the book itself, there were two things that happened simultaneously. One was I knew I wanted to write a book, but you need the right idea. And I presented along with a number of other women at an event that was hosted by Ladies in Seattle Tech. We each gave a lightning talk about career advice. What happened at the end was that the women from the audience each lined up to talk to whoever's story had resonated the most with them. And so that gave me this idea that there was really power in telling women's stories. And then around the same time, I was listening to the Tribe of Mentors podcast based on the book of the same name by Tim Ferriss. And the format he used was that he interviewed about 130 people who are the best at whatever they happen to do. And he used a standard set of questions. So what I did was I blended those two ideas. I chose 13 amazing mission-driven women who I admire asked each of them a standard set of questions, but then I used all of their answers to distill down and try to understand what were the key themes and messages. And I really wrote the book based on that. Oh my gosh, so cool. What did you learn from asking very different women the exact same questions? Yeah, it was fascinating. It's a very diverse group of women. We have different race, ethnicity, and backgrounds, where people grew up, different sexual orientation and identity, right? So there's a lot of diversity in that group. It was obvious to me that I should interview a group of diverse women. I think what was not obvious to me was what I would personally learn through doing that. This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is 
around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily. It's very digestible. And the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Utube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around, like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explains. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters. And are specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30 day money back guarantee and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. And in particular, in talking to women of color about their experiences in the workplace, there were a couple of things that stood out to me. One was a woman named Erin Jones, who does social impact work in the Seattle schools. And she said that she never once dressed down for casual Friday because she could not give up any respect at work. That was completely new to me. Having worked 15 years in companies, it never occurred to me that there was anyone who felt like they couldn't take advantage of those type of policies. That was very surprising. Yeah. Another one was Ruchika Tolshian, who's a Singaporean immigrant. And she said that simple things about her life, like the fact that she was in an arranged marriage or what kind of food she brought to work, disclosed things about her identity that she didn't always want to share because it would cause people to make certain assumptions and judgments about her. And these are things that those women live with in the workplace every single day that as a white woman, I've never had to think about. Yeah. Oh my gosh. How eye-opening. Mm-hmm. So as you were going through these stories, were there themes that were, it sounds like there was places where there, you learned a lot of things and there was vast differences in the answers to the same questions. And then were there themes that were recurring as well? There definitely were the themes, a lot of what you would expect around parenting and pregnancy at work, all of the difficulties and assumptions that come with that, how stressful those transitions can be, going on leave, coming back from leave, telling your manager that you're pregnant and figuring out how to navigate that. That's definitely something that I went through. I was working at Microsoft when I had both of my kids and Microsoft has and had wonderful leave policies, but it's still 
stressful, you know, to walk out on your job and not come back, in my case, for about five months. There's a lot of uncertainty there. The thing that surprised me most was that I didn't ask a particular question around competition between women, but I got a real outpouring of stories about female rivalry competition that felt personal, that didn't feel fair, and that really left a lot of the women hurt and questioning, well, as women, why aren't we all on the same side? Why aren't we all fighting you know, these battles together? And why do we have to actually make rivals out of one another? And there was so much information about that, that that actually became one of the main chapters in the book. Oh, that's so interesting. I'm curious. So I'm in a position where I'm in communities of women who are so non-competitive and so supportive that it doesn't occur to me that that even exists. And so I just assumed that like women always want to lift each other up. And so was this shocking to you? Or were you familiar with like, oh, yeah, I've seen that. I've heard that I've been part of that. Which kind of where did you fall on that? You know, I had seen it. But it was shocking to me how pervasive it was, that there were so many stories that across the board, this was something that women had encountered. And You know, even one of the women, Leslie Feinzag, who created something called the Female Founders Alliance, she created that because she could not find that collaborative working environment and healthy culture between women. So she basically left her corporate jobs and created it on her own. And I think that's what we see a lot of women doing as they are going out and creating their own communities and creating their own business. It's often because they're not finding that support that they're looking for at work. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And it also, it speaks to the, when you have that dissatisfaction at work and that sense of rivalry and competition and not feeling supported or validated, that's really heavy. I have not been in that situation in a very long time because I've been out of the corporate environment since like 2003. But even at that time, it's hard to not let that carry over into your personal life or for that to not impact the way that you carry your worth in your personal life. And I'm wondering if anyone spoke to that as well. Yeah, I mean, I think this whole boundary between work and personal is it's a little bit more artificial than we think, right? Like we bring, you know, what's personal comes to work and what happens at work comes home because at the end of the day, we're just one whole person. You know, I'll never forget this on my first day back after I had my son. I was pretty proud of myself because I made the commute. I worked a full eight hour day, which is a lot for a new mom to be away from the baby. And I was feeling pretty good. And I was walking down the hall. I passed a young woman on my team. She had her door open. And, you know, Microsoft is pretty hard charging. It's, you know, not as typical to work just an eight-hour day there. And she looked up and said to me, oh, so you're working a half day today? And just based on an assumption? Yeah, well, like the eight-hour day. So that was the half day, right? Yeah, the eight hours. Yeah, a nine-to-five. Wow. And she was joking, but it was so hurtful to me because it had been so hard. Wow. And she, you know, and I'm sure she didn't mean anything by it. And yet it's about not the intent, but the impact that a comment like that has. And so I do think we just need to be more thoughtful and, you know, be a little bit kinder to one another. And yeah, we can just, you know, be a little bit more considerate about the challenges that people are facing both at work and in personal lives and how remarks like that might feel. Or if someone's going through a hard time with, you know, a family situation, a divorce, an illness, you know, they can't help but bring those things to work. And instead of expecting sort of 100% out of every single person every single day, which just doesn't leave room for humanity. Right. If we give a little more flexibility and a little more grace, I think these, well, the loyalty and those working relationships and the commitment will just be so much higher and there will be so much more engagement because sometimes we all need that break. Right. And I even think when you feel seen in those more vulnerable times in your life, the more challenging times in your life, I think that it also creates a place for you to want to perform when you are at your best, for you to want to, like when you're feeling good to really go all in because you felt supported during times when you weren't, when things were harder. And I think that if the expectation is that you're always just like grinding through even on the hardest days to you know, to consistently perform at your highest, then the lack of support will burn you out really quickly. 
Yeah, that's very true. It's really all about empathy. A colleague of mine is actually working on a book right now in a framework about empathetic leadership. And yes, if we can extend a bit of empathy in those hard times, then yeah, that's where I think this just lifelong commitment and loyalty and hard work will follow. Yeah. How did you choose the woman that you interviewed in the book? Well, the hardest part was paring it down because I just started thinking about who are women who are successful and who I admire, but they're successful not only professionally, but they're also mission-driven. They're women who help other women and are very purposeful and care about the future. Within minutes, I had written down about 25 names, so I had to stop myself, yeah. And, you know, then it just, it did become an exercise in, you know, who's interested, who has time to talk. I had given myself a short time frame because I, you know, had a timeline for completing the book. So I got these 13 amazing women, and of course, I still have the other half of the list. And I am working on a podcast, and so I'm hoping, yes, I just started that, and it should be out in March of this year. But yes, I'm really hoping I can circle back to some of the women who weren't able to participate and maybe get them to join me on the podcast. Yeah. So I think this will be helpful for some of our listeners. We do have some women who create content with other women and have podcasts and blogs and invite people to do guest things with them. I'm curious for you, when you created that list, was this a dream list of like, these are the people I'd really love to have, but I'm a little bit nervous to ask them. Or did you feel like, I know they're all going to say yes? I did not know. And I also created a mix. There were women who I knew. There were women who I knew of or had read about, mostly who were local to Seattle. So I didn't know them, but I felt, okay, they're accessible to me. I can find a way at least to meet them. And then there were women who are, I guess you would call more prominent women like Brene Brown and Melinda Gates and even you know, the mayor, Jenny Durkin, it became apparent to me pretty quickly that I was not going to be able to access those women. I did try. I got a really nice no from Brene Brown that I respected very much. Then I did make the choice that I didn't want to have a mix of prominent women and less prominent women, I guess I would say. And so I kind of nixed the prominent, the more famous names and just went with um, these women that I knew that I could tap into. I also thought that would be really inspiring for readers because we don't hear about their stories every day. And I think when readers look at these women, they're like, I could be her. You know, I could do what she's doing because she's not a celebrity. She's not the first lady. You know, this is a woman who came up, you know, probably through some combination of corporate jobs and then found a really amazing career path for herself. Yeah. So I actually was just this morning being interviewed for someone else's blog and podcast. And they were asking me who I follow on social media and who I like love to learn from. And it was so funny because of course, like the first people that come to mind, you're like Brene Brown and Oprah and Michelle Obama. And I w immediately had these names pop into my head. And I thought those aren't the names I want to share because everyone knows about them. And so I was like, I want to go to like the next tier, which is people that have hugely inspired me and impacted me, but people don't know about them. And there's the one piece that it, you know, it gives a new people exposure, but the other piece is it creates space for women to elevate other women. And so of course, like, I don't want to slight Brene Brown or Oprah or Michelle Obama, but I also love that I have the opportunity in front of however many hundreds or thousands of people who are going to listen to this content to bring some new names to light. And I think that your book, it sounds like that's what you've done with the book. And I think that is such a beautiful example of women supporting other women is to not just aim for those names that we're already familiar with, but to bring to light other women who are doing such amazing things and that, like you said, are more relatable. Yeah, that's right. And I fully agree with you. You know, Michelle Obama and Brene Brown, they don't need us. <laughs> right, right, right. They don't need us to amplify. I mean, I wish they did. But... <laughs> they get enough amplification, but there are so many other incredible and inspirational women who could do with a little bit of amplification. So yes, anything that I can do to help other women's voices get heard and share their really remarkable stories, I'm just thrilled to do that. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about, and you've touched on some of this already, but why did you choose specifically to focus on women at work as the focus of the book? 
So I spent the first 15 years of my career in human resources, mostly in tech companies. Um, So very male dominated, very often the only woman in the room, or maybe it was me and the executive assistant. We got to be the two women in the room. I saw a lot of things in those companies and not all bad. I mean, for instance, I had the privilege to work with a number of leaders who were very clear that they were there to create a healthy, respectful work environment. So when things did come up like inappropriate comments or, you know, not promoting women as much and things like that, I knew that as the HR leader, they would support me in investigating those issues and you know, recommending the right outcome for those issues. So while I saw things happen in the workplace, and frankly, we're still in an age where when there are a lot of people in a company, some bad things will get said and done in the workplace, and it's really incumbent on the leader to make it clear what isn't acceptable. So I saw the power of leadership. I also did see the struggles that so many women, including myself, had, and whether that was getting taken seriously or, you know, you make a suggestion and nobody hears it until the guy next to you repeats it when said it's a wonderful idea. And, you know, I have seen harassment and I have seen gender discrimination. And I just felt two things. One is that There are just so many of these challenges that women face that are not right. It is exhausting. It holds us back. You know, we don't move up as quickly as our male peers. We don't get recognized as quickly. We don't get paid as well. That was one. But also, I saw how resilient so many women are and the strength that they bring to work, to their leadership roles, and just that we could have so much greater opportunity if we can really include women, include their ideas, listen to them, move more women into leadership positions, just that, you know, companies would do better. And I think the workplace would be better. It would be a place where we can be happy and productive. And hopefully, you know, all that other stuff can go away because it doesn't belong in the first place. Yeah. Oh my gosh, this is reminding me so much of a conversation I recently had with a girlfriend. We were talking about her role in the workplace, often as the only female on a team high up in leadership and the exhaustion that has come with that over the years and to every point you made about not being taken seriously, not being heard, being dismissed. Other person next to you says the same thing and suddenly it's a great idea, like all of those things. And so she was saying, I said to her after we've had a couple of conversations about her maybe just, you know, going out and doing her own thing like you've done. And we were talking about, I said, so do you think maybe now it's time? Like, are you ready to now go out and do your own thing? She's like, I'm really, really getting there because the power that you can have in a more on a systemic level is so much greater than what you can do within an organization. And the work that you're doing in an organization gets so exhausting. And it's like, what do I really want to be fighting for? Do I want to go out and build my own thing and create systemic change? Or do I want to just sit here in the same place that is sucking my the life out of me? So I love that you've done that and you're looking at other ways that you can now support women who are in the workplace and allow them to, you know, find their voices, step into power, find greater tools and all those kinds of things. But I think there's two pieces of it. Like, do you stay and try to create change within or do you leave and try to create change from outside? That's right. And both are really valid choices. I think it depends on the individual. It depends on whether you see that opportunity within your company. And we do, you know, we work with amazing leaders and companies every day who are on our side and who want to be more inclusive and, you know, women and men both who really want to have that gender equity and representation in their companies. And if we can help them make that happen, that is fantastic and should be a good outcome for everyone. I know if you're inside of a company and on a team where, you know, that isn't a priority, that is where I think it can be really hard and exhausting work. And that is where many women choose to opt out. Right, right. How can women push for equity in the workplace without feeling like they're being the squeaky wheel? 
Yeah, it's interesting. Maybe it's okay to be the squeaky wheel. I mean, that's my <laughs> first reaction. Sometimes we have to be squeaky. And, you know, there's this great podcast episode with Liz Dolan. It's, oh my gosh, I hate my boss, I think is the podcast. But this one woman talks about this woman isn't getting promoted and she knows that she should be and she asks about it. And her manager actually goes so far to tell her, he says, well, we promote men because they're the squeaky wheel. He says, I've even promoted men into positions they're not qualified for just to get them to be quiet, basically. So sometimes the squeaky wheel gets the grease. But I think the question is, how can we do this in a way that we feel good about that is authentic to ourselves? And very often, I mean, one way is joining forces. You know, it's hard to go and ask for anything on your own. But there have been all of these grassroots movements and workplaces recently that at least to my knowledge, we had never seen outside of unionized organizations. I think of things like Nike, when there had been sexual harassment, the leaders hadn't taken action. HR in that case hadn't taken action. And so women joined forces. They created a grassroots survey to surface everything that was going on and then brought that directly to the CEO. And it resulted in a lot of upheaval and a lot of change at the executive level. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it but I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that wanna be clutter-free. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. So coming together, I think, is one really fantastic solution. Another one is using data. You know, when we make it personal and, you know, I think I deserve this or I feel like, you know, he's getting that and I'm not, sometimes that's when we don't feel as confident. But if there's data available to you about who is and isn't getting promoted, who is and isn't reaching certain pay levels, and there are examples where male advocates have shared salary information with their female colleagues to give them that data, to put that data in their hands, which I think is very powerful because now I can go to someone and say, look, I know so-and-so makes 30% more than me and we're doing the same job. And, you know, by the way, I'm better educated or have more years of experience than he does. Right. I actually had a coworker, this was years ago, give me some information about we were hired at similar times, very similar education, similar experience, and he was hired for more money than me. And we were all had been told in the workplace like that no one here, we don't talk about salaries, wages, any of that. It was all like very much a culture of keeping that really hush hush. And so he told me how much he was making. And I went to HR and was like, this seems like it's sexism. And I was immediately called into the CEO's office with a team of people there to observe the conversation. <laughs> and they were like, do you understand the implications of what you are saying? And I said, I'm just letting you know what I know. And this is what it seems like to me, like, correct me if I'm wrong or give me a rat, like do whatever like works for you. And this was over like 
50 cents an hour or something at the time. But I mean, when you're making 10 bucks an hour at, right out of college, at the time I was probably 23, it was a big deal. And I knew what the entry rate was for everyone coming into that role. And I knew because we were in a position where there weren't a lot of males in this environment, I was like, they're totally paying men more to come in. And it did not go well. And I basically was pretty much bullied into like stepping down or not stepping down, but into being quiet and quieted. And that was so eye opening for me that I was like, oh my gosh, all it takes is like the CEO can say like, this is really serious and you need to stop talking about this right now. And as a 23 year old female, I was like, okay, like, I don't know what else to do with this and I can't afford to lose my job over it. So all I can do is let you all know, like, I know that this is happening. Yeah. And then they can tell me to be quiet. What's so ironic about that is they're saying, do you realize the implication of what you're saying as opposed to do we realize the implication of what we're doing, which is sexist, right? Like, and illegal, by the way. Yes. Yeah. And I feel like that story raises a really important point, which is that we're not always in a position to raise these issues and we're not always in a position to complain. And every person has to evaluate their safety, their financial security and choose, you know, do I bring this to HR? Do I bring this to my manager? Do I say nothing and quietly look for another job to get out of a bad situation. And it would be very Pollyanna-ish to say, oh, no, you should, you know, you should always raise your hand. You should always be vocal because sometimes we don't have the luxury to do that. And that is understandable. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, this would have been 20 years ago. And so 20 years ago, there was nowhere where I felt like I could go learn more or ask more or like go to a Facebook group and be like, Hey, like, is this, where do I stand in this? Like, is this actually wrong? Or so it was a very isolating experience. I feel like now, I mean, it would still be an isolating experience now and it would not be fun by any means, but I feel like there is, I think there are more resources and places where women can go to connect with other women who can give them options and opportunities and resources to say like, oh, wow, this actually is totally illegal. And you actually have like a leg to stand on in this argument, which I didn't know if I did. I was like, I don't want to keep pushing this because it could get really ugly really quick. And that's too risky for me. That's right. Yeah. And thank goodness, right? There are groups, there are people, there are colleagues, there's information online. And unfortunately, it's sometimes it's still risky, you know, just because the treatment is illegal, as we've seen with you know, Harvey Weinstein, for instance, just because the treatment is illegal doesn't mean that we're not putting ourselves at risk at times when we speak out. Absolutely. Can you talk about how women can be leaders of inclusivity in the workplace? Yeah. You know, one thing that I think of is so much of the burden, even in all of these stories you and I are sharing, so much of the burden can be on the woman or on the underestimated person, whether that's because of their race or identity. And we should really be shifting that burden, right, to leaders, to organizations, ideally in time. That's where it belongs. But, you know, one thing that I've had a chance to do as a woman that I've really enjoyed is, for instance, when we talk about sex, salary, oftentimes women, they do ask for less, or I've seen with our consultants, sometimes the women have this humility where they say, oh, just as long as it's great work, you know, I don't worry as much about the rate. And so I've taken it upon myself to say, well, I'm going to pay women and men equally for the work that they do regardless of what they ask. And so, you know, if I've had a man who is more aggressive about negotiating a raid and then I give a woman a similar project, I will just give her that same raid. So I think we can, you know, take these questions into our own hands and just make the outcome the right outcome as one. I think, you know, for women and especially as parents, when we do often need flexibility, whether it's a sick child or a sports event, or it's hot cocoa day at preschool, you know, there are all these great things that we get invited to do as parents and especially as moms. I like to, I mean, first of all, I want the moms on my team to go to every one of those activities that they want to go to. And I personally sort of over communicate when like, oh, my kid is sick, so I'm home or my kid is sick, so I'm canceling calls or I'm leaving early Friday because someone has a, a sporting event. I just feel like back even when I started work, I remember this really well as a female colleague of mine. She emailed in one day and she just said, you know, I want to 
let you all know I'm sick. I'm not going to be in the office. And I wrote her and I said, well, I hope you feel better. She emailed me back and she said, actually, it's my child that's sick, but I didn't feel comfortable telling my clients that. And I thought, what a shame, you know, that we can't say I'm staying home to care for a sick child. So I just try to over amplify and broadcast those things when they happen. I love that. I actually have a friend who's a CEO and she was talking about when she took this role, there's very, very few parents in the company. And so she said that she wanted to be really clear around core values in the company and that her as one of the only moms in the company was going to make like a big deal about like on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I leave it for because my kid has soccer. And like, it wasn't like she was quietly blocking her calendar or slipping out. It was like this like widely known thing that she was doing. She's like, you know, a lot of people aren't going to be able to relate to it, but someday they will. And they'll know that like, this is what CEOs do. CEOs have boundaries and CEOs have values and that we stand by them. And that one of the values in this company that we're going to uphold is having the opportunity to be flexible enough that we can support our families in, you know, when our kid has soccer practice twice a week or whatever. And I thought that was such a great way to lead because it creates space for other people to do the same and to see that you're actually standing behind the core values that you have up on the wall. Yeah, good for her. I mean, that's such great role modeling. The other thing I hear a lot is that especially if there's, let's say, one woman on an executive team, everything to do with parenting and what's the maternity leave practice and flexibility at work, the team wants to look to the one woman to make these decisions. And actually, these are company and leadership decisions. They're not just a woman's decision. (laughs) And so I think for female leaders, too, when you're having those kind of conversations, bring women and men into the conversation, because ideally, men should care just as much about parental leave, just as much about workplace flexibility. And the more that men participate in those benefits, actually, the more destigmatized they'll become. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm curious for you, because you brought up this point earlier that leaders need to be having these conversations around inclusivity and everything that we're talking about, not just women and women don't need to be the ones to lead and the people in power need to be the ones leading, which is often not the women, unfortunately. So I'm curious how you see men in the workplace working toward more equity. And do you see that that's shifting? I definitely do. And I've had amazing male advocates and sponsors throughout my career. As you said, you know, I've had more male leaders than female leaders because there are simply more male leaders in organizations and they do have so much power. You know, two things I would say. One is there are so many men in the Seattle community, the Seattle startup community who are incredible advocates, or I've just heard now that there's the newest, latest breaking word is accomplices. So those who are really collaborating and doing good work on behalf of their female colleagues. So I do believe that that's a change, you know, their caring and participation in all of this kind of work. The other thing, because I really didn't want to exclude men from this conversation. And so in the book where there are checklists at the end of each chapter, there are checklists not only for women at work, but also for men who want to become better advocates, because sometimes they don't know whether or how to enter this conversation. They are so afraid of saying the wrong thing that they don't want to say anything at all. And it's so important that they're in the conversation. Women can't affect this large scale change on our own. I agree with that. And I do think that if you have a circle of strong women around you, which I definitely do, it's easy to make assumptions that men are really passive. And I think that we are, luckily, I think there are is some really great work being done by men to step up and to learn more and to find those ways that they can learn more in order to be supportive around equity. And I think that that's really great. And I know that I sometimes overlook that. Like I like to on my soapbox about how like women are having to do all the work all on their own. And I love it when I'm proven wrong. (laughs) And it increasingly seems that I'm proven wrong where people are like, oh my gosh, no, this person over here is like doing this amazing work that really amplifies the work of women and the worth of women. And oh my gosh, I just get so excited about that. So I love that there is increasing spaces and places for men to be able to do that and for them to do it in ways, to your point, that it can feel, and I've been in this position and maybe you have too around race where I'm like, I want to be an accomplice, but I also don't want to totally screw it up and accidentally be offensive in the process. And so I think that men often are in that situation with women where they're like, I want to be helpful, but also 
like if I say the wrong thing, then I'm going to just make everything way worse. And so having opportunities to learn and then also taking some responsibility for like, I might get this wrong, but I want to be on your side and I want to know how I can elevate you or support you or help you grow and help you lead. And the, at that, what you just described is the exact fear that I hear from men and you shared the exact right steps for them to take. And then I think as women, we also need to have some grace if someone does make a mistake or does say the wrong thing, because this is a very messy space. And our role is to educate. And if they're willing to listen and apologize and acknowledge and move on, then that's what enables all of us to continue having this important conversation. Absolutely. What makes moms awesome leaders? Well, there is research that I wish I knew this research when I had my kids originally, but (laughs) there is research that women with two or more kids are the most productive people in the world and certainly the most productive people in the workplace. Yeah, it's backed by research. And you can see why, right? We have to be so careful with our time. We have to make so many important decisions. We multitask like crazy. So first of all, you know, I think sometimes employers or managers can write off, well, she's busy. She's going to be distracted. She won't want to work as hard. She might not want to travel. Those are all assumptions and people should validate those. They should ask the question. Don't make any of those assumptions on behalf of the working mom. But, you know, I think moms have so many skills. And as kids get older, I don't know if your kids are anything like my kids, you get into a whole lot of conflict management and how do we get creative solutions when people aren't getting along or have different points of view or one wants to go out, one wants to stay home. And all of the skills that we use to navigate conflict, to get our kids and families to reach agreement, those are skills that translate right back into the workplace. And honestly, my company, we do a lot of management and leadership development. And conflict is one of the most needed, but less often found skills, I guess, you know, that people see in the workplace, because most of us aren't trained, either at work or at home or in school, we're not trained to deal with conflict. And yet, moms become experts, we deal with conflict every single day. Oh, my gosh, I always say mothers could like negotiate a Middle Eastern peace treaty. Mm-hmm. We could. We do. <laughs> I know, right? We should have way more power to do that in actual Middle Eastern peace treaties because we are actually highly qualified. So right. Yeah, the other, I'll just, one more mom story, but it's really funny. You know, I remember when my kids were quite small and they were having whatever disagreement they were having. And as an adult and as a parent, I always want to like, well, who was right or who was wrong or who was first? You know, that's my logical way that I would try to plow through these things. But I was exhausted. And I just said, you know what, you two go work it out. They were old enough. And they came back and they had solved it. And I said, how'd you solve it? And they said, oh, we played rock, paper, scissors. (laughs) And I was like, oh, this had nothing to do with who was right or with logic of any kind. But it was a creative. Or keeping it fair. (laughs) Yeah. It was the creative solution that worked for them. And I, it reminded me, like, let me just get out of the way more often. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I love it. So I know that I have so many moms who don't identify as leaders. And something that I'm constantly saying is that you are a leader. You're a leader in a household. You're a leader in, a, in many cases in a career um, or a work environment. You're leaders in organizational places, whether it's on your kid's soccer team or as part of the PTA. Or There's just all these places that women lead, but they don't own being leaders. And so I'm curious if you could give moms some advice and encouragement around steps that they could take to really embrace being leaders and what steps could they take to become stronger leaders as they are wanting to build that more into their widely known identity. Your point around wherever we're leading, leadership skills are leadership skills. It doesn't matter if it's the home, if it's a board, a volunteer organization, or in the workplace, the skills are often the same and they're very transferable. I think one thing women could do is really just write down what they think it means to be a leader and then look for themselves and their behaviors on that list because I bet they would find a whole bunch of them. That's one. You know, also, I mean, this right away reminds me of imposter syndrome, like, okay, you don't see yourself as a leader, 
but I bet you money the people around you do. And it would be really curious to almost conduct your own 360 feedback and just ask some people, yeah, I don't know, do it over a glass of wine, get a bunch of women together and kind of talk about, you know, how do we see each other as leaders? How do we see those skills showing up amongst ourselves? And I bet there would be a lot of surprises there because I know that women lead everywhere they go. Yeah. In terms of developing the skills further, there's so much great information out there, whether it's through even articles, books, and podcasts. I will, let's see, I'll try and rattle off like a top three or four that I always share with leaders who I work with. One is a Harvard Business Review article called Primal Leadership that I think is life-changing. There's also a wonderful book called Multipliers by Liz Weissman. And I think women will really love this concept because it talks about the leader, not as the genius, but about the genius maker. Your job as a leader is to bring up those around you. And I feel that that is such an innate skill that women have where women are good at communicating. They're good at delegating. And often we're not looking to take all the credit. We're looking to give the credit to the team. And so her kind of theory of leadership plays really well into that. And then I do love Liz Dolan's podcast that I cited earlier called I Hate My Boss. And the tagline is, don't hate the boss you have and don't be the boss you hate. <laughs> so there's a lot of humor and there's a lot of talk about really what makes a good manager and what makes a good leader. Oh, I love it. And I love a top or a, a, any sort of content that can put like a humorous spin and that can be really engaging that will make you laugh while also talking about something that's like deep and impactful. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, I can go really serious really fast. And so people around me often remind me like it's okay to bring in humor. It actually makes it more palatable and allows us to stay with the work longer if we're not overly intense about it. Absolutely. How are you currently showing up as a shameless mom? Well, I brag a lot about my kids because I'm so <laughs> proud of them. So everybody knows, like everybody who knows me, I feel like knows exactly what my kids are up to. So I'm really good at the sharenting, as we say. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard that. I love it. I heard it as a Facebook, it's sharenting. It's like the person who only shares the pictures and updates of their kids, which is totally me. That is one. And I've been trying to really get my daughter out to some events with me. She is a pistol and she got up on stage with me last year at an event called the Champion Awards and read a poem that was written by a friend of hers about the glass ceiling and gender equality. So I'm really... Wow. Mm, yeah, she's a hoot. I'm really trying to bring her, bring her into the mix. Oh my gosh. Yeah, and I'm taking them on vacation for a week. So we are all checking out and I'm not bringing a laptop, which is huge. Oh, I went, I can't remember where it was. I went somewhere last year and didn't take my laptop for four days. It was like the most vulnerable feeling in the world. I was like, this is very sad that I'm feeling this vulnerable, not bringing my laptop with me. But it all, everything was fine. The world kept going and I didn't need my laptop and it all worked out, which I really did not have a lot of trust that it could work out, that the world could spin without me for four days. So... Well, it's a good feeling. And I have an all women staff right now. And they looked me in the eye this week and said, do not bring your laptop and we've got you. And then they really do. I believe them. Oh, so great. Oh my gosh. Michaela, this has been amazing. I so appreciate you taking the time to be here. You've shared a lot that I know will inspire other women, other moms to own the leadership that they are already participating in, and as well as stepping into new levels and layers of leadership additionally. So Thank you. Thank you for being here. Where can people find you, connect with you, get your resources, get the book, all those kinds of things? Yes, I am easy to find. I'll start with the book. So we do have a landing page for the book. It's female. If you look up female firebrands, you will find us. And there are a ton of resources. There are checklists. We actually do have a Facebook group if you're looking for that safe place to communicate. Even the poem I mentioned is there on the site. And then as for me, I'm on social media. I'm on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. So really, you can't avoid me on social. This has been an amazing conversation. Thank you so much. I love your tips and your energy. And just thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. And when you write the next book, you have to come back again and tell us even more. So can I tell you, even though my book's only been out for a month, I have started notes on book two. Yes, I love I've heard this is how it works that like you do book one, and then immediately you're like, now I know the next thing I want to read, right? 
write about. Or you do book one and then you have an epiphany of like, I actually might have written the wrong book. Not that you don't love that book, but you have a more clarity around like a whole new message that becomes even more prevalent. So yeah, yeah, it's a very addictive process. Oh, I love it. Oh, I'm so excited for you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for the impact that you're having in our community and now in my community as well, but in the greater Seattle area too. I really, really appreciate this. And I'm so grateful for your time. Thank you. Before I let you go, do not forget to get yourself signed up for our free eight day hope, happiness, and mental health challenge. I am going to be showing up to bring you a little much needed lightness and brightness during this dark time. And I cannot wait. So make sure that you pop over to shamelessmom.com slash challenge to get yourself all signed up and ready to go when we kick off on March 23rd. That's shamelessmom.com slash challenge. Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be shameless mom of the week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play, and we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.